The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. Hey, Jay, it's minus 23 degrees Celsius right here in Ottawa, Canada. Would you want to have an electric car in this climate? You know, we'll find out in time that uh, Canada will not be a place for electrical vehicles. We know for sure in your winter temperatures, the range is uh, at least 40% lower than uh, the norm for electric vehicles. And while in any case, they're really uh, always going to be a second car, uh, not one you drive on a long trip. So there'll be still people in Canada that will uh, will buy them, but they'll be uh, less happy than certainly people in Southern California that will get the full range, whether it's a hundred miles or 200 miles, depending on the type of, uh, of car. Cold is uh, definitely uh, a killer. Actually, heat destroys batteries even more than cold. So at either end of the spectrum, electric vehicles make no sense. And uh, we'll be talking about this today uh, with our guest, Ron Stein, who's a electric vehicle expert in California. So Tom, why don't you go ahead and introduce Ron to our audience? Yeah, sure. Our guest today is engineer Ron Stein. He's the co-author of the book that we're really promoting a lot. It's called Clean Energy Exploitations, Helping Citizens Understand the Environmental and Humanity Abuses that Support quote, clean, unquote, energy. And we'll, we'll be boosting this book under our America Out Loud article and also in the podcast. Ron is a licensed professional engineer and founder and ambassador for energy and infrastructure of the California-based organization PTS Advance. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from California State University, Northridge. Ron's first career was in project management and engineering roles with major international engineering firms, Fleur and Bechtel. Ron now works to increase energy and infrastructure education and literacy in the wider public sphere. He's an internationally published columnist and energy expert who frequently writes about all aspects of energy and economics. So he's a great one to have on the show, especially in this super cold weather. So welcome to the show, Ron. It's glad to be back on board. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. And to you, Ron, I'll... uh add a little bit to Tom's introduction of you, your outstanding book on clean energy that, of course, is not clean, that Tom will link on uh, the article, uh, both the radio show and later when uh, we publish an article relating to the radio show. 
his book uh, has been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and uh, we all have our fingers crossed. It's for uh, the 2022 prize, and it is absolutely outstanding. And if our listeners want to really understand how clean renewable energy is anything but clean or, in fact, renewable, uh, that book uh, cannot be recommended too strongly. But I want to start off talking about more of what Tom and I were speaking of, the problems with the cold weather in, uh, in Canada. Uh, California now has 40% of all the electrical vehicles on the road. Would you agree that the vast majority of all owners use them as a second car, are quite affluent, and keep them in a garage? Yes, the California statistics, since half the EVs in the country are here in California, because we have the most temperate climate of all 50 states, and we have a high average income. Yeah, the average EV owner is highly educated, highly compensated, and a key thing, they have low mileage requirements. The EV owners are only using the vehicles like 5,000 miles a year. They drive it as much as they drive their Lamborghini. Uh, it is a second vehicle. It's not the family workhorse. And they generally have a home garage convenient for charging. Uh, of course, that might not be a good thing with a lot of manufacturers recommending not to park it indoors when you're charging because of EV fires. But yeah, um, California is the EV capital of America. You told me uh, some time ago uh, that you favor a Mercedes uh, car and you have a standard internal combustion uh, car, but Mercedes now makes a, an electric vehicle and you could uh, buy your next car, a Mercedes electric. Uh, how much would you uh, save if you went from the internal combustion Mercedes uh, to the electric Mercedes? Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, I drive an SL450 Mercedes. It's a sports car, small. It's getting harder to get in and out of. It is a gas guzzler. I barely get 20 miles to a gallon. So I looked at my three-year lease and the mileage, because I, I fit the category. I'm using it less than 5,000 miles a year. And buying gas at five bucks a gallon in California, my three-year cost of fuel is like $5,000. So I figured I'm going to basically go back to a four-door sedan, be more convenient to get in and out of, better gas mileage. So I looked at the um, EV Mercedes, the E-Class, the four-door sedan, and it's stickered out at $111,000. Whoa. So I said, whoa. So I priced out the E-Class uh, gasoline car, and it priced out at 50000 less. Uh -huh. So I'm thinking, whoa, I'm going to spend $50,000 more to save $5,000 in fuel? Whoa. When I told that to my trainer, he told me he would kick my butt if I bought an EV. <laughs> well, it really is crazy. Uh, in the course of this show, we'll go through many of the ridiculous aspects that make electrical vehicles uh, not sensible in large numbers on the American road. Uh, it, it can always be a fun car. Uh, run around the neighborhood car, but certainly will never 
be uh, the only vehicle families will own. It, it's too limited with so many problems. But uh, there are two people that think that the EV is the best thing since sliced uh, bread, and they would include our president, Mr. Biden, and your governor, Mr. Newsom, who are promoting 100% electrical cars on the road. Do you think they actually believe it to be possible or are both lacking in understanding of electricity in general? I believe they think they're right. That's <laughs> scary. But when you take a look at California, we, like I said, we've got the most temperate climate, but half of California, half the population, that's 18 million people, is Hispanic and African-American. They don't have the financial strength to do this. And they don't have, you know, most people can't afford one car, let alone have a second car. They need a family workhorse vehicle. And if they got no place to charge it, I don't know how they're going to charge it because they don't live in houses that have garages. Most people don't live in new apartments that have charging capabilities. Everybody's parked on the street and I can just vision extension cords everywhere. And the next best thing you're gonna read about is people stealing the extension cords. That's a lot of copper. <laughs> well, I think that our president and Governor Newsom are not the, uh, the brightest lights. Uh, I actually think both of them have quite low IQs based on having read so many things they've said and so many of the actions they have uh, undertaken. But uh, elsewhere around the world, I believe that uh, the electric car fits in with their desire to get rid of uh, fossil fuels in all aspects because they are know that we'll be short on energy to recharge an electric car or to use normally in our houses if we do away with coal, oil, and, uh, and natural gas. And that those government people, especially the ones who I think are pulling the strings of Mr. Biden, really want to see the cost of energy go up and the amount of energy available go down so they can ration the energy that every citizen in this country and ultimately in the world use. And we're now seeing something uh, else rear its head. In Great Britain, they're considering charging uh, extra to uh, recharge an electric car. They're limiting the hours of the day that one can, uh, can charge an electric car. And they now see it as a moneymaker for the government of Britain. And I'm guessing that we wouldn't be far behind if the electric car really uh, takes off as they hope it will, uh, which I can guarantee our listeners, uh, it will not. No matter how much you read about it, it, it isn't going to be the car of the future. Um, is it true that a large percent of EV owners are, are switching back to conventional vehicles? And where would such statistics be obtained? Well, you're right about the electrical vehicles. The, the interesting thing about EVs is they're, they're destined to pay for upgrading the electrical grid because you keep reading about grid stability. 
you know, we've had brownouts and blackouts in California. Texas has had them. Uh, Great Britain is very concerned about their grid stability. And, you know, both the United States, Great Britain, you know, all the wealthy countries keep terminating or shuttering their power plants and relying on breezes and sunshine for electricity. And they're not providing enough electricity. And then concurrently, they want to add more load by charging EVs. Well, that's going to make the grid really unstable. So you're right. In Great Britain, in the UK, the regulations going into effect in June of this year require your home charger to not work nine hours a day during peak load requirements. Uh, but the most important thing, I think it's, it's three hours in the morning and uh, six hours in the afternoon. But the most important thing is your EV charger is now going to be connected to a smart meter system. Uh, they're going to basically require them to be separately metered. That is setting up the tone. They'll basically charge more for charging your EV than the electricity for your house, which is opening up Pandora's box because it's going to be a revenue generator to whatever it costs to rebuild the grid. It's going to be, quote, user pays, and the EVs are going to be the users. You know, currently they're getting away with not paying for electricity now, and they're not paying to maintain the roads, they're not paying the road taxes, the fuel taxes. So the EV owners are gonna see different charges when they charge their EV, and they're gonna be seeing the VMT, the vehicle mileage tax, to help pay for the roads. I know here in California, we've got 400,000 miles of roads, and the road taxes, it comes from fuel, it's like $7 billion. Well, when that $7 billion starts going down, the costs are not going away. Someone's got to pay to repair those roads and the EV users are using them at no cost to them. Well, they're going to start paying for that. So VMTs are coming to the EV owners and probably higher electrical rates to the EV owners. So, you know, Katie bar the door, it's coming. If you can afford an EV, you can afford the electricity and you can afford a vehicle mileage tax. Yeah. Yeah, Ron, I was reading also that in England, what's going to happen is the government will actually control not only when you can charge it, but they may actually suck energy out of your EV. They take control of your electrical supply so that uh, if they need more power in the grid, they could suck it out of your EV. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, you're connected. So they're going to be delivering or taking. <laughs> but that's going to be their call. And wow. being on a smart grid system, smart meter system, if the grid's unstable and you're charging the car when you're supposed to be charging it, and they feel it's uh, making the grid unstable, they'll stop charging your car. They huh. control it. So. You know, would that be funny if uh, I had an EV and I, I charged it at night and in the morning I uh, went to take a long ride and I found out it was no longer charged because the government had extracted it. It's, it's really uh, comical. Uh, they, they won't get away with it. Uh, well, they might get away with it, but they're just not going to be very many uh, EV cars for the government to suck energy out of those cars. Well, the most interesting thing I see is the fact that California always progresses itself to be the leader, the leader of everything. Well, the UK went one up on them by setting up these new rules. 
And sure enough, you're going to see California fall right behind them. And Biden wants to clone California for the rest of the country. So the rest of the country is probably going to clone California. So it, it's coming. Like I say, it's been it's going to happen in UK and uh, it will happen here as well. I'm actually thrilled about it all because uh, what California and the UK are doing is setting up very negative models for the rest of our 49 states and the rest of, of countries. And negative models are extremely uh, valuable as what not to do. And so I do not see much of our country or many other countries following uh, the UK uh, doing these things. And then, of course, I look a, a step further, the more and more people uh, find out about that in our own midterm uh, elections, where in, at least in the House of Representatives, we're going to have a, a great number of new intelligent Republicans running for House seats who are going to win very easily. Mm-hmm. I had a question concerning the very low temperature. Here in Ottawa, the capital of Canada, we're the seventh coldest capital city in the world, actually national capital city. And the city of Ottawa wants to have all of our vehicles electric. So what's going to happen, Ron? I mean, are we going to find that they're breaking down all over the place and people are freezing to death, stuck in uh, EV traffic jams? I mean, what do you forecast will happen in Ottawa if we did go all electric? Batteries do not hold up very well in cold or hot climates. Um, in both hot and cold, they can lose up to 40% of their capacity. And so you're not going to have the range that you thought you bought the vehicle for in a temperate climate. In addition, if you're in a cold climate and it's minus 20 outside, you would like to have the heater running. But by God, it's got to run on the battery, which is going to deplete the battery. Or if you're in the desert and it's 110 degrees, you probably want your air conditioning running, but that's going to drain the battery. So yeah, in hot and cold climates, uh, it's it's going to be a tough, tough sell. I, I see the, the biggest problem I see is all the automobile manufacturers are going all in, all in to make EVs. But I think they're being regulated to do that because they're required to manufacture products, i.e. the automobiles, with lower and lower emissions. And so to do that, they're gonna stop making the internal combustion engine and make the zero emission vehicles EVs. So they're enhancing the supply. There'll be a tremendous supply of EVs. You know, by 2035, I think they're all gonna be in EVs, but where's the demand? You know, like say, if the demand is not there, if the buyers aren't there and you know, I, I'm watching the weather. I'm here in sunny California. I see the weather on the East Coast. And that's the last thing I would think about is having an EV. Ron, that leads me to the question I asked earlier and we skipped over it. I'm understanding that a large percent of EV owners are uh, switching back to conventional vehicles when it's time for them to buy another uh, new car. Is, is, that, uh, is that true? And w- where do those numbers come from? California, uh, statistically, I think it's 18% of the existing owners are switching back to internal combustion engines. And when these two other hammers come in about, you know, being separately metered and vehicle mileage taxes, like I say, they're not paying any fuel tax for the roads they're using. So there's more cost coming their way. And I think the 
the range anxiety and the charging anxieties uh, and the convenience is just something that, you know, it's not worth it. And like in my case, you know, saving $5,000 in fuel, but spending $50,000 more for the car, um, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So mm -hmm. I think the realization, but until the users can demonstrate that these are workhorse vehicles, I don't think the demand is ever going to be there. Mm -hmm. Now, chemically, is there going to be some advances that will make EV batteries actually function properly at low temperature, or is it actually a physical limitation? We're obviously at the early stages of uh, EV battery technology, and it, it's got to improve. I mean, you take a look at your iPhone, that, you know, the original phones used to be monsters, and now they're, you know, they're microscopic. So EVs uh, will improve, but when you, it's, it's commercialization, you know, right now, I think there's 7 million EVs in the world. Sounds like a big number. It is a big number compared to what they had a few years ago. But when you take a look that there's 1.2 billion vehicles in the world, that's, that's amazing. There's, like I say, the EV demand is, uh, I, I don't think it's gonna come from the low income people. You know, take a look at the world, you know, 80% of the world, that's a big number. That's more than 6 billion people. They're living on less than $10 a day. They can't subsidize themselves out of a paper bag. They're not going to be buying a, an EV. They, they can barely afford to buy a piece of old junk combustion engine vehicle. So it's the chemical reaction that is slower when it's cold. Is that how it works, Ron? Yes. Yes. It's slower. It just, like I say, it just drains it. The, uh, you know, heat and cold is, is not the best. Uh, the best for a battery is the temperate climate of California. If everybody moved to California, maybe they'll get an EV, but we, there's no room here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ron, could, could the need for uh, certain materials primarily available only in China uh, stifle the growth of the EV market or will American manufacturers uh, be able to get enough of those materials that it, it wouldn't matter? Well, definitely. The EVs are made of lithium ion, uh, lithium ion batteries, and the lithium and cobalt is, is controlled by China. You know, they just discovered a billion dollars worth of lithium in Afghanistan. China's got that under control. So, yeah, China controls about 80, 90 percent of the exotic minerals and metals for us to go green. And there may not be enough lithium in the world to transform, you know, from 7 million vehicles you know, up to a billion. There's, that's a lot of lithium. And, you know, there is some lithium here in the United States, but you need a permit. You're not gonna get a permit to mine. That, that is a dirty operation. And we have environmental controls here. They don't have any environmental controls there. We got environmental controls here. We got labor controls here. So the, the cost and the environmental degradation is not going to happen here. That's why we wrote that book about clean energy exploitations, because, you know, all the exotic minerals and metals that support the green movement of solar panels and wind turbines and EV batteries, it's all coming from developing countries that have yellow skin, brown skin, black skin people have no environmental controls, no labor controls. The environmental <clears throat> degradation is awesome. Uh, the humanity atrocities is something you really can't comprehend. You've got kids six years old mining the stuff by hand. And 
it's um, yeah, it, it's going to be really tough. That's why we you know wrote the book, and hopefully, it'll get more transparency to the world. You've heard of blood diamonds. Todd Royer and I wrote the book. We've heard of these blood minerals. Mm-hmm. It's the same type thing. And uh, if, in fact, I was playing golf once with three guys, and they all had EVs. And they asked what I have. And I said, well, hey, I don't have an EV, and I wouldn't buy an EV. That's what I said at the time. And they said, why? I said, for ethical reasons, because I know where the battery came from. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when I see a Tesla, I really want to drive up to it and put a sticker on it. I've got a dirty battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, human rights abuses are related to the production of the green materials. That's what the whole point of your book is, right? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. So Ottawa, in pushing the green energy revolution, is pushing the worst human rights abuses in the world as well. Yes, it's, uh, like I say, it, it, you know, if you support it, that's why you make it transparent. Because if the world is aware of it, and they're willing to keep doing it, hey, that's their decision. But I think they're oblivious to what is going on. I know our governor here in California, Governor Newsom, he only believes he breathes California air. He doesn't breathe anybody else's air. So he's, he's willing to move all the manufacturing and all the environmental degradation and emissions to another country. That's their problem, not our problem. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, very, he's very proud of it. And so we want to make it transparent that, uh, like I say, by, by doing what he's doing, he's actually increasing world emissions. How many years does a battery in an EV last? And what's the cost of replacement uh, to the best of your knowledge? Well, interesting. They last for 10, maybe 20 years, but they hold their charge less and less each year. There was um, somebody overseas, I forget who it was, uh, their Tesla battery uh, went kaput and Tesla wanted to charge them $20,000 to replace it. And to make a statement, he wrapped his car in dynamite and put an effigy of uh, Elon Musk in the driver's seat and blew up his car (laughs) to make a statement. The used car market will be rather small because most of the used cars will need a new battery, which is going to price the used cars at a line with what most used car buyers would uh, would want. Mm-hmm. So the battery right. costs as much as, as a normal small car. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're right. The automobile industry, you know, pretty much survives on the used car market because the cars will last, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, you know, most people do not buy new cars. Most people are buying, you know, a used car. But I haven't seen a used car market in the EV sector because, you know, A, technology is moving so fast and, and B, you're not sure how long that battery is going to last when you do buy it and the cost to replace it is going to be something you can't afford. And so, you know, there, there's no market right now for used EVs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're going to end up with a lot of them stuck on the car dealership road without actually selling them. Yes, or it'll be in, you know, stockpiles. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're approaching uh, our time for a break, uh, Ron. But when we come back, I'd like to change the focus a little bit to ask you if you think the EV industry and government promoters are ignoring the availability of enough electricity on U.S. grids to handle 
the growth of EVs. And the same goes for Tong up in uh, Ottawa. Where does uh, Ottawa think they're going to get the electricity when they think they're going to go to all electric? My fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. You know, Ron, one of the things I don't read about or uh, hear about in discussions of the electric uh, vehicle is where, from a national standpoint, we would get the electricity to have uh, large fleets of electric vehicles. And in fact, it's for that reason that I'm convinced uh, electric vehicles will never be more than 10% of the cars on the road because there, there is not enough electricity. I've worked out numbers that if all the cars in America were electric, we'd have to uh, increase the total amount of electricity on all three of our grids. We have an east grid, a west grid, and a Texas grid. And uh, to supply electricity to a total amount of EVs would mean increasing the size of those grids by two thirds, which of course is practically impossible. As the leftists are trying to get rid of 
oil, natural gas, and coal, uh, we're going to have less and less energy available. And I think their goal is to uh, need to, for the government to ration all uh, electricity to the public. What are your thoughts on this? You're 100% correct, because everybody is focused on shutting down power plants, especially if it's fossil fuels. They want to get rid of coal. They want to get rid of natural gas, uh, even nuclear. Uh, nuclear, ironically, <laughs> nuclear power plants are being built all over the world, except here in the United States. And they keep taking off these uh, continuous uninterruptible power supplies and talking about replacing it with breezes and sunshine, but they're not building those. You know, the, these big plants require a lot of local approval and the locals are basically stepping up and saying, it's a great idea, but not in my backyard. And so <laughs> California, you know, for California, for example, we can't generate enough for our own electricity in California because we shut down the San Onofre power plant, nuclear power plant, Diablo Canyon's coming down in a couple of years. We shut down natural gas power plants and there's just not enough electricity. Last year, we imported 32% of our demands from the Northwest and uh, Southwest. And when Diablo Canyon comes down and a few more natural gas power plants come down, that's gonna increase and hopefully the Northwest and the Southwest will be able to generate what we need. If they don't, we're in bad shape. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's typical, you know, throughout the country. The, the interesting thing is this, the environmental movement of uh, the ESG environmental and they're divesting in fossil fuels. But when you take a look at it, fossil fuels, there's three fossil fuels, there's coal, natural gas and crude oil. Coal and natural gas have been used for generating electricity, coal specifically in foreign countries. I mean, China, India, and Africa, they've got thousands and they're building thousands of more coal-fired power plants. Natural gas is used for generating electricity and for making fertilizers. Crude oil is never used for generating electricity. Crude oil is used as a product to manufacture other products. And the other products are, you know, half the barrel of crude oil is made into oil derivatives, makes 6,000 products today that we did not have before 1900. And it also manufactures fuel for the heavyweight long range infrastructures like the airplanes and the cruise ships and the military and all the merchant ships. The whole thing is, is sheer insanity and, uh, you very uh, briefly mentioned a new movement to destroy American industry and uh, fossil fuels and all things like that. And it's the ESG movement that stands for environment, social and governance. And they're environmental groups that are now rating uh, companies on how they're sustainable environmentally, how they deal socially, how they, they govern their uh, their country with the idea of stopping investment in organizations that are not woke, that are not liberal, that are not anti-fossil fuels, and uh, and so on. It's a terrible thing. Tom and I are going to do a radio show on it some weeks out. I'm working on a two-part series of articles on it right now. But let me ask you now a, a very practical question that I'm very curious about. 
and it's range anxiety, which you've mentioned a few times. It's a problem faced by all EV owners, how they get worried driving on a trip that they might run out of electricity before they get where they want to go. Those who want an EV as their primary family car have range anxiety more than anyone else. Do you think it, uh, it could ever come to an end? I think EVs may have a, a purpose for the short range usage. For people that don't travel very much and they don't have the range anxiety, I think it works. Uh, when I mentioned an EV to my wife, first thing she thought about was the range. She said, no way am I going to go anywhere in an EV. <laughs> and so, you know, for the fear of, you know, basically shutting down, you know, you can't call it AAA and haven't put it, you know, two gallons of electricity in your car. <laughs> so the existing owners of EVs aren't using them. They're secondary vehicles. They're toys. And they're using them like 5,000 miles a year until the existing owners can demonstrate that they are the primary vehicles. The public's not going to buy it. The auto manufacturers can manufacture all the cars they want. They're trying to change lifestyles. But until the public can demonstrate that they're willing to change the lifestyle and use it as a workhorse, that it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Ron, I like to describe a scenario where a city or a jurisdiction moves over to EVs, they move over to so-called green energy and everything else, and they find out that having turned off their primary energy sources, that they're hugely lacking in power. Now, when they make that discovery, it's not like they're going to be able to turn around tomorrow and suddenly get all these conventional fuel stations back online. So, I mean, you're going to have a certain number of years delay between the time that they recognize there's a problem and they can actually fix it. So isn't that potentially quite a crisis? A big crisis. I'm, I'm concerned about them not doing irreparable harm before the problem really services. Because you're right, these power plants go down. And once they go down, they're probably not coming back. You know, if you basically cut off the crude supply to a refinery and the refinery goes down, more likely the refinery is not going to come back online. And if it doesn't come back online, where are those products going to come from? They're going to come from China. They don't manufacture it and ship it to us. But it's, if, if we have irreparable harm, that's, that's my biggest concern. And this winter is going to be very interesting because we've had a couple of years, a lot of states, a lot of countries have been turning off all their power. The UK has a lot of demand from the wind and wind took a two week vacation over there. That is really interesting. And our listeners, I want to just repeat for all of them what the three of us know well, that uh, man caused global warming as a result of increased carbon dioxide emissions is the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on society. There is no science whatsoever that supports it. And yet uh, it's gone around the world and uh, is truly going to hurt all of society economically. They call it an existential threat, the increase of, uh, of carbon emissions. And of course, they mean carbon dioxide. There is an existential uh, threat, but it's the economic uh, threat. It's the standard of living threat to the entire world if we continue to knuckle under and get rid of fossil fuels. We're not going to. I'm the resident optimist, and we're, we're going to end the insanity. It may take a decade. 
it's going to begin in the United States with the uh, midterm election in November. But there's another issue that got this whole thing started. The idea was to have uh, renewable energy, electricity from wind and solar, and electric vehicles particularly, because they were going to uh, reduce carbon dioxide emissions. You don't read much about that lately. And the reason is that when you crunch the numbers with the manufacturer of batteries, the manufacture of electric cars, the utilization of electric cars, there is not a reduction of carbon dioxide at all. And so they're, they're stopping to brag about it and they're just touting the wonders of uh, wind and solar and electric vehicles when they no longer have a leg to stand on that that could have any effect on the temperature of our planet. Mm-hmm. You're right. So, and a lot of the manufacturing and mining is overseas, but we don't see that. Basically, when you're tinkering with uh, ceasing the use of crude oil with this ESG movement is doing, that's going to be the greatest threat to civilization, not climate change, because the world populated from 1 billion to 8 billion in less than a couple hundred years after we discovered oil. And now that we have 8 billion people, we need these 56,000 merchant ships moving products all over the world to keep feeding the people. If we basically eliminate crude oil, we're going to eliminate the 6,000 products that got us to this point. And people will be dying from diseases, starvation, malnutrition, weather-related deaths. It's going to be horrendous. And it's going to be uh, just terrible for society. And they don't recognize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Ron, just to go back to one other point, and that is that you can't turn around your energy infrastructure on a dime so that when they're actually turning off so many conventional power stations, there's going to be a lag period between when they recognize the problem and when they can fix it. And that is when we'll see catastrophe, right? You're right. The one thing I think they really need to correct right away is they keep talking about renewable energy. It's not renewable energy. It's renewable electricity. It's only electricity. And the interesting thing is all the pieces and parts that make solar panels, pieces and parts that make wind turbines, the pieces and parts to make the EV automobile are 100% made with oil derivatives. Mm-hmm. You get rid of oil, you get rid of crude oil, you have nothing to manufacture at the refineries, and the refineries go down you've basically eliminated not only your medical system, you've eliminated your supply to build EVs, to build solar panels, to build wind turbines. Yeah, renewable energy, it's renewable electricity. And that's, that, it's gotta be clarified, that's electricity only. It, mm-hmm. you know, wind turbines and solar panels cannot manufacture these derivatives that makes the plastics. I mean, the medical industry didn't exist before 1900. And you get rid of crude oil, you basically eliminated the medical industry and the communications and the electronics. It's everything is based on what we're getting out of crude oil. And well, I would I would venture to say that uh, wherever our listeners are currently sitting, listening to this show, if they look around those rooms, that 80 to 90 percent of the objects in that room would not exist without a derivative from crude oil. And 
that's something people don't understand. And it needs to be talked about a lot more because, as you just said, limiting our use of fossil fuels for uh, energy is also limiting the production of as many as 6,000 products that we use here in the United States and around the world. Yeah, there'll be tremendous supply shortages, soaring prices. It's going to be atrocious. And who's going to suffer the most? It's going to be the developing countries. You know, currently, some of these developing countries, they don't have access to the medical that we have. And in these developing countries, there's 11 million child deaths every year. And they're dying from malnutrition, starvation, diarrhea, diphtheria, everything preventable if they had what we have. But they don't have it. So, you know, we basically want to go back to living in the 1800s. In the 1800s, we had a decarbonized society. There was no coal power power plants. There were no fossil fuel power plants. There were no refineries. You know, life was hard. It was dirty. People never lived beyond, you know, 30, 40 years old. And that's life without fossil fuels. You know, everything we are are talking about doesn't require huge intelligence, really a little bit of common sense. And of course, people say common sense isn't so common anymore. But nearly every car company has entered the electric vehicle market. And it's hard for me to believe that they are unable to recognize their limited future why are they doing it then? Or maybe they have calculated correctly exactly how many of these cars can uh, sell to a, a limited uh, population. As you expressed earlier, they have to be affluent and not drive very far, have a garage and so on. You're right. The, the EVs, like I said, I think they're being regulated into EV manufacturing because they're being required to reduce the emissions of what they're producing. So if they stop producing internal combustion engines, they'll have less emissions. And if they convert to EVs and have zero emissions, they'll meet the regulations. And Newsom and Biden are doing the same thing. They're trying to change lifestyles by regulations. But economics don't support that. I know, like I mentioned here in California, half a state's Hispanic and African-American you could probably count on your hands the number of EVs that they have uh, or will have. And, you know, the rest of the country represents the other 50% of the EVs in America, which means like each state has like 1% of the EVs. Well, you know, you have a you know, few affluent people in each state, they'll have an EV, but, you know, have them for a toy and make their statement. But the people need a workhorse and it, it's, it's just not going to happen, guys. Mm-hmm. When you actually look at the full supply chain required to make an EV, all the manufacturing and everything else, uh, Jay may have already addressed this, but does it actually reduce carbon dioxide emissions to drive an EV when you look at the whole supply chain, including disposal and everything? No, no. The, in fact, the manufacturing is based on the mining, and there's tremendous environmental degradation emissions on the mining aspect, you know, they're not calculated into the equation. Everybody's looking at, hey, my EV doesn't have any exhaust. Well, the exhaust is coming out of the power plant that's providing the power to charge your EV. Because the interesting thing about wind and solar is they're redundant 
sources of electricity. Whenever you have a wind farm or a solar farm, you need a backup, either coal, natural gas, or nuclear is the backup. So you're basically building redundant potential power supplies, intermittent power supplies. I would really hope that Biden and Newsom would stop talking about renewable energy and talk about just renewable electricity. Focus on what they're doing. All they want to do is get breezes and sunshine to make electricity. And that's the only thing we're going to have. The world cannot survive on electricity. You charge your iPhone with electricity. You can't make your iPhone from electricity. You can run a motor with electricity. You can't make the motor. You could run your EV you know, with an electrical charge. But take a look at the Tesla. You know, it's 90% plastic. It's made with petrochemicals. Yeah, exactly. So these are petroleum-based vehicles. I mean, you just don't get away with it. Yes. Well, take a look at the COVID situation. You know, we came out of this COVID situation with the vaccines. Well, all the medications are made with oil derivatives. Everything in the hospital is, is plastic. The defibrillators are made with fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. The electricity might run the defibrillator, but you can't make the defibrillator from just electricity. This conversation, you know, via iPhones and the computers we've got would totally disappear. You get rid of oil, turn in your iPhones, turn in your iPads, get rid of your computers. You know, go back to the 1800s. That's, they had no fossil fuels. So, so I can say to the city of Ottawa, if you want to reduce CO2, this is not the way to do it. EV vehicles do not get rid of the CO2 that you're trying to get rid of. It just doesn't work. Correct. And, you know, I live in an area, I live in a cul-de-sac. And it's a long cul-de-sac. There must be about, you know, 30 houses here. And if everybody had an EV and wanted to charge at the same time, the power into the cul-de-sac, the cable from the power company ain't that big <laughs> to charge that many cars at one time. And so it's, it's, it's just unachievable. You raise an issue of a location that it couldn't be done. A long cul-de-sac with a lot of houses wanting EVs. We seem to have totally ignored people who live in high-rise apartments. They don't have a garage to charge. Uh, There aren't enough charging stations on the sidewalks of their streets where they generally have to park their cars. It just seems like uh, Mr. Biden has totally ignored a very significant population of the United States that uh, does not live in single family housing. The compound that some of the manufacturers are recommending not to park your car in an underground structure because of potential battery fires. The interesting thing about an EV battery fire is a chemical, it's a chemical fire. They can't put it out. All they can do is cool it until it burns out. And so the last thing they want is having a, you know, electrical vehicle on fire in a garage and not being able to, you know, get, you know, 30 to 50,000 gallons of water on it to cool it. And it's, you know, if you're in a large apartment complex, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm resistant about, you know, going to an EV is, yeah, I've got a garage to park it in, but I'm not sure I want to park it in my garage and charge it. You know, General Motors recalled 100% of all their bolts and because of potential battery fires or replaced some of the modules. And they returned them back to the owners. I think it cost General Motors like $1.8 billion to, to make the fix. 
But when they returned it to the owners, they recommended don't park it in a garage. Don't park it within 20 feet of something you really, really like. And when you're charging it, don't leave it unattended. Well, golly, I mean, that's a great incentive <laughs> not to buy an EV. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I was reading that they need 10 times as much water from the fire department to put out an EV fire than they would a normal car fire. Because they don't put it out. All they can do is cool it until it burns itself out. I'd like you to briefly describe the future in an electric car when stuck in a seriously long traffic uh, jam. And they certainly occur frequently where you live in Southern California. I have two daughters that live there. And when you ask them how far a certain place is away that you be are driving to, they never tell you how many miles something is away. They tell you how many hours it is away because they understand uh, traffic congestion. Now with 40% of the electric vehicles in California, when you've got a hot periods, uh, you want air conditioning in your car. Have you seen any uh, concerns in that area uh, in uh, California where they seem to love the EV? Well, definitely. There's a big concern about that. You'll see most of the EVs in Newport Beach, Silicon Valley, um, people where, you know, got high income people that they're making a statement. You know, they have a clean car, but again, it's the second vehicle. But you're right. In California, we don't judge distances by mileage. We judge it by time because it depends on the time of day. If you're uh, going to, I'm in Orange County, and if I'm going up to LAX, if I'm going up during rush hour, it could take two or three hours. If I'm going at two o'clock in the morning, it'll take me 40 minutes. <laughs> so we always uh, judge, you know, time. It depends on the time of day when you plan on going. And of course, you don't want to be stuck in a traffic jam with your battery just discharging. Those traffic jams are going to take forever to clear because they're going to have to go charge all those batteries. Well, I'm not going to charge it. We have to tilt the car off because to, to charge it would just take too much time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I said, when you have a, uh, a stalled vehicle, you need a tow truck to take it off. And it's just going to be horrendous. And California, you know, our freeways during rush hour are parking lots. And the last thing we need is uh, someone to be off on the side, at least if they had, you know, a gallon of gasoline, you can pour in a tank and just get the car fired up and off and running again. But to uh, close down one or two lanes, that is horrendous on traffic. Jeez. So you'll have one EV breakdown. And then with so many cars sitting in traffic jams, you're going to get more and more and more. It'd be like a chain reaction. Exactly. Uh, for sure. Yeah. We see a lot of uh, automobile you know, chases on uh, TV. But I'm really waiting for the time when the policemen are following an EV until <laughs> it, till it runs out of charge. <laughs> yeah, just stay on its tail. Never actually catch it until it stops. That's right. Uh, that is funny. You know, our audience knows more about electric vehicles from what they read about uh, Tesla, I think, than, than any other place where they get information. And uh, Tesla is doing... Uh, very well, because uh, Elon Musk is an amazingly brilliant man that is running multiple companies at the same time. Nowadays, they hear more about his uh, 
uh, rocket exploits, which uh, actually we're, Tom and I are going to have a show talking about uh, somewhere down the road, his uh, desire to get to Mars and uh, how difficult that is. But uh, do you think that Tesla will be affected by all the things that we know are going to limit uh, electric vehicles on the road? Or is he kind of immune to the problems because his stock sells at such ridiculous levels because everybody has confidence in his ingenuity? I think Elon Musk and all the automobile manufacturers that are committing to EVs, I think the realization to reality is, is, is coming in the years ahead because like I say, they're enhancing the supply before the demand. And the public, unless you can convince the public and you know, the only people that are driving EVs right now are what I consider bad advertising really for the uh, EV future because you know, they're high income, highly educated, you know, limited use. That's not the normal usage of the car's owner. They, they want a workhorse that can go anywhere at any time. And, you know, and the problem is there's been a big movement to SUVs because people have families. Well, the bigger the EV, the bigger the battery. You know, Ford 150, you know, Biden's excited about the Ford 150 greatest selling truck ever. The Tesla battery is a thousand pounds. The Ford 150 battery is 1600 pounds. And then Hummer, the macho Hummer has come out with an EV. The, the Hummer EV is 5,600 pounds. It's a 10,000 pound tank. That's incredible. Well, we have to wrap up there, Ron. That was really exciting. I mean, if you want an EV and you don't care about the environment, you don't care about safety, you don't care about human rights or the convenience, hey, that's a car for you. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty terrible deal. Oh, and the price. Nobody can afford it except the most wealthy who use them as toy cars. So on that note, <laughs> I guess we got to end, Ron, but wow, what a horrible purchase. <laughs> so this is... Tom Harris and Dr. Jay Lair with our guest engineer, Ron Stein, signing out from the other side of the story. <laughs>